My name is Susan. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, everybody. And thanks, Joan, for asking me to come today and share. I don't. I don't. I, I don't know that I'll last till 6.20. Um, and uh, so I'll just... It's okay. Thanks. Um, I've been abstinent uh, 19 years, 7 months, and 15 days. And um, my abstinent is, is black and white. And um, it's that way, so I know when I am and I know when I'm not. It's like... Um, an alcoholic who has alcohol, and uh, they know when they're sober, and then I know when I'm abstinent, and um, and I know when I'm not. So my abstinence is um, no binging, no purging, and no sugar. Um, and it's kind of uh, miraculous that, that it's been like that for so long. I was having breakfast this morning with some friends. Everybody's in program. And... They were talking about somebody who's just gone into rehab, and um, and I just started thinking about the very end of my compulsive overeating, and how so something that started really kind of harmlessly, probably, it just grew to this absolute insanity of I have to lose weight, I can't stop eating, I have to lose weight, how can I lose ten pounds, you know, by tonight. How can I do this? How can I do that? And that kind of, that's how I thought all the time. It was always about that. I'd look at another person and go, how come they're so thin? What did they do? What are they eating? I'll eat just like they eat, you know, and never being able to do anything like that. Uh, and I lived my life like that for a, for a number of years before I came in here. Um, I didn't want to come in. I had come, I had visited uh, before, a couple of years before I came in, and um you know, because you mentioned God, I don't want anything to do with any any Overeaters Anonymous thing or any 12 steps because um, that would mean that I had a crutch, you see, if I had a God. And um, I couldn't have crutches because I was too smart, I was too strong, I could do it on my own. And, um, you know, it, for someone who's so smart, it just never occurred to me that food was like my crutch. But... Um, because I just didn't want God. Um, I've been a compulsive overeater, I don't know, probably my whole life, but my first conscious memory of obsessing about food was when I was four years old. And, um, and when I was six, I started getting made fun of because of my size. And um, that size kind of stayed my whole life. I was never normal. Um, and um, and I always wanted to eat. I just wanted to eat. I really loved to eat. And uh, so when I was in elementary school, I used to steal money from my mother and um, give it to this kid who... Uh, we brought our lunch to school, and, and some of the kids uh, went home if they lived near, near the school. And um, so I always gave my... I gave this money to my fr- to this kid. He wasn't even my friend. He was my dealer. And so he would stop at the market, you know, and get me whatever hostess thing I wanted. And um, I can remember even then, you know, like just taking a bite into something and my whole body just kind of letting down, you know. Ah. Oh. And... 
I thought it was because of the food. I thought it was because of whatever whatever ingredients was in the food, and I didn't realize that when I was eating that, it just took me a little bit away from where I was because anywhere that I was, I was not comfortable. I was um, not a comfortable kid. I grew up in a house that um, was violent and very loud, very loud. And um, my mother expected perfection, and if she didn't get it, I heard about it. It's funny. You know, I have a brother and a sister. And I don't remember my mother, you know, yelling at them the way she screamed at me. Um, Her pet name for me was Miserable Rotten Bean. And um, I don't remember her doing that. And the funny thing is is that I was a a child. It's so bizarre, you know. And um, I think that she wanted certain things from me. She expected certain things because... I was sort of an extension of her ego. And um, and so I kind of had some, you know, behavior that I learned then, which was kind of always wait to see what other people wanted, coming into a room, scouting out a room, seeing what the mood was, and um, it, just kind of seeing what was going on. So food really was a great, a great respite for me. You know, I could just get away from that constant sizing up things, berating myself for not being perfect, um, and hating myself. Oh, I, when, I was, um, when I started getting made fun of, I started hating myself. I hated my body. So there I am. I'm six years old. And I look at people now who are six years old, and I can't believe that all that stuff when I was six was going on in my brain because it seems way too young. It seems way too young to have this kind of these kind of thoughts, you know. I think when you're six, it's like, what's on Nick, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I um, I used to hate myself. I hated my body because it was different than everybody else's. And I used to learn to stand behind things so that you wouldn't be reminded of what I looked like, you know. So you could only see me from the head up. And, you know, people would come into our house, and if we were in the backyard, I used to, like, move the garbage cans around and stand behind the garbage cans. I was very short. And I used to kind of lean on them and stuff so people wouldn't see exactly what I looked like so that they wouldn't uh, make fun of me. Um, So that's kind of what I did. And food was a great friend. Food never talked back to me. Food... um, always accepted me. Food was quiet and calm. I just wanted some peace, you know. I just wanted some some peace. And I never seemed to be able to get it wherever I was. Um, so this is what I want to say about my parents. They did the best they could. I know that they did the best they could. They did better than their parents, from what I've heard. Uh, it was no picnic for either one of them. But they had no skills. They were terrible parents. And um, they didn't, I was, my mother never touched me. Um, I never had any kind of nurturing from her. And my father, who would kind of, you know, play, you know, kind of kitzel my hair when I would walk by and stuff, but he also was, uh, it was physically violent with us. So it was very confusing for me. And um, I walked around with a smile on my face because... That's what I was told to do. You know, Susan, 
people don't like it. When somebody says to you, how are you, they don't want to know the truth. You know, it's so funny that I was at Becky's a few months ago. My mother told me the very same thing, and I kind of laughed, you know. Um, they don't really want to know. They just want to know that everything is fine. So that's what I did. You know, I kind of bought the whole party line, and so everything was fine. And I walked around with a smile on my face, very helpful to other people, very nice, very friendly and everything, and inside just felt like a fraud. Because I knew inside I wasn't feeling like that. So for me, I'd come home from school, I'd close the door, my bedroom door, and I'd just kind of like take off my smile, you know, let my shoulders down, just relax and be as depressed as I probably was. And, um, and that's what I did. I just was so much more comfortable being alone. And maybe that's why, you know, I'm such an isolator and they talk about, you know, our disease is one of isolation. I, I don't know about anybody else, but it was just so much more comfortable for me. You know, I didn't have to live, to live up to anybody else's expectations. And if I was alone, that is the place, really the only place until I came here, really, that I could be authentically who I was. Depressed is who I was, but um, I didn't know that. I just knew I was hungry. I just knew I was hungry. And um, I just kind of snuck in food wherever I could sneak it in. We lived a couple of blocks from a little market, so I'd always volunteer after school to go, you know, do you need anything? And then, you know, take a little bit extra so that I could, like, shove this food in my mouth for the couple of blocks it took to get home. And... Um, and it was a great relief for me. It was a great relief. Um, so I, uh, that's how I grew up. Uh, there's really nothing more to uh, my, my eating than that. I just kind of always waited for somebody to kind of tap me on the shoulder and say, we know who you really are. You know, for me, there was so much shame in, in that secretive part of my eating, you know, and I ate two different ways. I ate one way in front of you, and I ate another way by myself. And it's interesting because um, I'm working with my sponsor on second helpings. For some reason, just a, a couple of months ago, I, it, it came to me, you know, you, you don't need second helpings. And what's really a problem for me is that I take very little through my first helping. And it's like a lifelong habit, so you won't think that I eat a lot. You know what? I was overweight. I was heavy. You know what I was eating. You know, I mean, it, I couldn't hide it, you know. Uh, I, I was eating too much. But somehow I thought if I ate, you know, little in front of people. So I'm, I have this problem still because I take very little for my first serving. And I see, I just keep taking little bits and little bits so nobody will see what I'm eating and nobody will judge what I'm eating. And um, and so I need to, I, I'm still working on it. I'm working on it with her. And I told her, you know, that that was happening for me. So it's about, it's another way of being authentic and saying, well, this is how much food I really think will nourish me, and so I'm going to take it. So um, so that was kind of interesting, but that's what I do. And I was one of those people who walk around and say, 
I don't know why I can't lose weight. I don't eat anything and blah, 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 you know, the whole bit. And, um, and I did that. I wasn't, I don't think, any different from a lot of other people. Uh, so that's pretty much how I lived. Um, after college, I moved to New York, and um, I lived with two friends. And so, so we lived in the city, and one of them and I uh, always talked about diets. That's, we just love to talk about diets. And, you know, all the women's magazines always had lose 10 pounds, you know, in two weeks or whatever. And um, I was put on my first diet when I was 10, and I lost five pounds in five days, I guess because I was 10, you know. Um, and so I always kind of expected that that's what it would be to be on a diet for me. I'd lose a pound a day. And if I didn't, I gave up, you know, after two days or something because it wasn't fast enough. And, um, you know, that immediacy that I needed, I never could I never could think like a few, even a few days down the road, like a week's going to pass by anyway, and what are you going to be doing, you know? But I couldn't do it. And my first diet lasted five days. That was that was pretty uh, much what I could do. So I'm living in New York, and uh, so Nina and I are always talking about all the diets and everything. And I came home from uh, I think I was working there. I was back from work one day, and and Nina said to me, "I have figured out a way to eat everything I can eat and not gain weight." You know, I, I, I just couldn't wait to hear what the answer was. I bet you can't wait either. And so, so she said, she said uh, what I do is I eat whatever I want, and then I make myself throw up. And, you know, today, that's old news. And this was like 1971 or 72. There wasn't a word bulimia. People weren't doing it. People just weren't doing it. It wasn't. I had spent four years in a dorm. Believe me, people weren't doing it. And um, I think she invented it. I, I'm not sure, but I think that she must. Honest, no, I, I really think so. Because nobody was doing it. I couldn't wait to try this. I thought she was a genius. I really I wanted to give her the Nobel Prize or something. I thought, this is the answer to all my prayers. Because I'll eat what I want, and then I'll empty it out, and then I'll lose weight. It was always about losing the weight. And, um, and I'm one of those people who thought, if only I could lose weight. Everything would be great. I was a ball of anxiety. You know, I walked around just a nervous wreck. And uh, I thought that losing the weight would, would, uh, would solve everything. Um, so I tried it, and it was great. You know, it was really, really great. Um, and I think the beginning of those binges certainly wasn't what the end what the ones at the end look like. So I did this a couple of times in, in the first year. And, um, you know, if it stayed a couple of times, I, I don't think I'd be here. I, I think my life would be very manageable if I would do that, like, you know, three or four times a year. I, not, not a problem to me. So over the next seven years, this progressed, and I was up doing this up to ten times a day. And um, on weekends, not leaving my apartment except to get food and going to different places and doing all the same games of not going to the same place twice, you know, because everybody recognized me, you know, that's what I would think. And um, 
you know, going to the market, going to this place, going to the fast food place, and the urgency became really insane, and the, the amount of food became really insane. And I would think of something to eat and have to have it immediately. And you know what? I'd think of stuff that I didn't even like, and I had to have it. You know, that was really the, the, the insanity of it. And I used to sit there and think, what are my friends who are normal people, normal eaters, what are they doing? How are they out there in life and not obsessing about what they're going to have for dinner even, you know, or, or whatever? And I couldn't even, I couldn't even imagine a life without obsessing about food. I just couldn't even imagine it. And I wanted it really badly, but I just, I couldn't imagine it. Um, you know, I, I would do, I'd have every appliance going and just kind of sobbing and feeling totally out of control. And I was, I was absolutely out of control. So, um, I was getting divorced. I got married in between that time. And it, it's funny. Sometimes I wonder what my ex-husband thought when bulimia became like front page news or something because I was doing it when we were married and he used to get angry with me because I was wasting money, you know, wasting the money, wasting food and whatever uh, with all my, oh, the stomachache kind of a thing. Uh, you know, that's what I did. And so sometimes I wonder, hmm, what was he thinking when all of a sudden he found out about this thing, bulimia? And, oh, yeah, that's what she was doing. Um, so we were splitting up, and um, I lost my appetite for the first time really in my life oh, for more than a day, and that's through deaths and other things. And um, my weight, I, I lost weight pretty quickly. I still wasn't a normal size, but it was the most normal that I ever really looked. And, um, and you know, my pants were big on me. I never had clothes that were big on me, ever. And um, so then my appetite came back. I mean, voracious appetite, because I hadn't been eating. So I really made the decision then that whatever I ate, I was just going to throw it up. And that's just what I did. Um, you know, left dinner parties early, left dates early, you know, everything. I just wanted to be home with my food and then my bathroom. Um, I once read that the average bulimic binge is, can be between 50 and 60,000 calories, and um, it's pretty startling, you know, the amount of food that, that I ate. couldn't even stand up straight. So anyway, that's what I was doing. So I did that, and then I all of a sudden couldn't throw up anymore for some reason. I just couldn't do it. But now, I'm still eating like the bulimic, but I can't get rid of it. And, um, you know, every year my weight would go up. Every year. And, uh, but when the end of the bulimic came, my weight really, really shut up. Um, so, uh, I was at, um, well, first I, I knew this guy, my friend Gary, and he had gone to Overeaters Anonymous, and he lost 100 pounds here, and he never gained it back. And I would eat with him, and he ate what looked like a normal person would eat. He had bread in front of me. He had a roll with butter on it in front of me. Like, he ate in front of me without any kind of shame. You know, I just kind of walked around feeling, always wanting to apologize for myself for even taking a place on the planet. And um, I knew he came here. So I came here, and um, 
the first day I uh, bought the big book and I went home that night and I read the big book and, you know, with a highlighter. That's, I read with a highlighter. And um, for some reason, the book made me so uncomfortable that I had a third act that night. I couldn't even have it in my home for some reason. I don't know why. I didn't understand anything, you know. I didn't understand, you know. The way he talked about God, providence was this, and, I, you know, something so alien to me that I didn't, uh, I didn't relate to it at all. And then somebody I talked to, like, on the third or fourth day, and she told me she broke her abstinence because she had wine the previous night. You know, I, I was drinking a bottle of wine at, at night, so uh, I fled. And, um, and I... But I knew, I knew that I'd always end up back here uh, because, because of Gary, because he was the only person I know who did this, and this is where he did it. So I came back about, um, about three years later. I was uh, a size 18, and, um, and I'm not even 5'2". It's a pretty big size for me. And, um, and because I... I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't, all those voices in my head about, got to do this, got to do that. And, I, you know, I'm so grateful that I knew I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and it was interesting because the first meeting that I waddled into, the, it was a daytime meeting, and so there weren't all that many people there, maybe 20 people or something. And the first, the, the leader was able to pick the topic, and he, she picked the topic of surrender. And we went around the room, and people are talking about surrender. Oh, I'm so grateful that I surrendered. This is so great. Um, now my life is so good. And I really didn't know what people were saying because, to me, surrender was a shameful thing. You know, this meant I lost. I was defeated. Custer's last stand. You know, I thought of that. How could this, how could anybody take any kind of happiness in doing this? And I really didn't understand it. But the speaker that day mentioned something about having a disease. And I really didn't relate too much to her story. I think she lost 10 pounds or something. But I related to that. And I just felt relieved that... It wasn't really my fault. There was something I could do about it. I mean, I was certainly responsible for what I was putting in my mouth. But now I could do something about it. Now if there's a disease, you know, I can treat the disease. And so I started coming, and uh, I came every day. I came every day to a meeting, and um, I took little notes. I still do that at meetings. I wrote down things because I thought I'd never hear, you know, these certain brilliant expressions again, like, you know, let go and let God. Oh, that's brilliant, you know, and stuff like that. And, um, but, I, you know, I still hear other things, too, that I really love. Uh, I love, and, and I put them in this journal that I have. Um, and I started listening, really listening to what people had to say. And I noticed that anybody who had any sort of uh, peace about them became more attractive to me than even the, you know, the weight thing. I just, it was just amazing that people would actually talk and talk about serenity and just kind of had this aura of peace about them. I'd never seen that before in anybody, you know, or honestly without any kind of chemicals in them. And um, 
And so I paid attention to what they were, you know, what they were all talking about. And every single one of these people all had a strong faith in a power greater than themselves. And um, I, I couldn't deny it, you know. The people who had what I wanted also had a God in their lives. And, um, you know, I got a sponsor. I had a sponsor, and so she suggested that I just, you know, pretend that I had a higher power. And, you know, I, I kind of went, I vacillated between feeling good about it and feeling really angry about it and kind of daring God to show up, you know, and had tests, you know, burn a bush, you know, or something like that. And um, none of that stuff ever happened. But one day I did have actually one of those spiritual experiences like that happened to Bill. And um, and it was quite remarkable for me. I didn't get abstinent. Um, I, um, I just knew that there was a higher power. There, I knew that I had a higher power. And um, so what I had to do was then kind of formed this God consciousness, you know. Um, so I had, a, you know, little stuff that I did when I woke up in the morning. I read some stuff. And during the day, I was, uh, I would remind myself to thank God. I call my higher power God. To thank God for little things and to, you know, I just really kind of had to develop that God muscle because I was so used to not having that to being by myself you know, to working everything out by myself. And um, so it took a while. And so all this time I'm working the steps. Uh, my sponsor just said, just keep working the steps, you know. And I'd get, a, I'd get some abstinence, and then I would blow it. And, um, oh, the first person I asked to sponsor me laughed at me. That was fun. Um, and uh, what happened, I was at a meeting, and... Um, and they said, will all available sponsors please stand up? And so I thought that that was so that you could go, oh, well, there's a person I'll ask to be my sponsor. So that's what I did. I picked the fittest person. And, um, and I went up to her after the meeting, and I asked her if she would be my sponsor. And she said, you can't ask me to be your sponsor. You don't even know me. You're going to have to read your inventory to me. I didn't even know what she was talking about. And she kind of laughed. And, but, you know, that kind of gave me an excuse to go home and eat. And I was telling a friend of mine about it that night. And she said, you know what, Susan, you've never com- kept a commitment to anything in your life. But, you know, when's it going to start? So, you know, I got pissed enough at her that I went back the next day. And um, so now I'm trying to form this God consciousness. And... I'm trying to eat three meals a day. Not trying. I'm eating these three meals a day. But they're huge meals because I'm so terrified of being hungry. I thought I would die. I thought I would just die if I was hungry. So I had these enormous meals a day. I think I gained 10 pounds when I first came in. I needed that like a hole in the head. And I just... What was I going to do? For me, my, my eating time was between lunch and dinner, especially if what, I was going to have dinner later than I normally ate it. And um, I ate huge meals every day. So I was on step three and um, kind of figure, trying to wonder about how to uh, turn my life over. I, I wasn't really sure how to do that. And um, 
I was I took a walk with a friend of mine. I had worked with him, and he was in AA, and um, we're talking about some stuff. And he said, Susan, because I, actually I I uh, was talking to him about my alcohol consumption, and he didn't really want to hear about that. He wanted to talk to me about food, and he said, you know, Susan, how long have you been going to OA? And I said, well, I've been going about five months now. And he said to me, hmm, you're still fat. Well, that was true. He said, and I've seen your sponsor, and she's fat. And I said, well, you know, she's like a coach. You know those people, those athletes who have coaches? The coach knows how to do it, but the athlete is really the one who can really do it. So I started, like, you know, bullshitting him. And, um, but he, he spoke the truth. He spoke the truth. And I had to remember that the week before, I had had birthday cake, and I had half a birthday cake for breakfast, and because it had a beginning, a middle, and an end, I called it abstinent. And um, that was it for me. That was it. It was a Sunday afternoon in, in Westwood Park. It was a Sunday afternoon. I didn't have one more binge. I didn't have one more piece of anything sweet. That's when I started my abstinence. And... Um, and I've been abstinent since then. And I'm not friends with him anymore, but I've been abstinent since then. And um, but for other reasons. Anyway, um, so I, you know, I continue to work the program and work the steps. And um, got through that third step. I, um, this is how I got through the third step, actually. It's kind of weird. Um, I was reading the newspaper one day, and there's the, um, Charlie, uh, Peanuts, cartoon Peanuts is there. And Lucy's on a swing, and um, Charlie Brown is reading a book, and he says to her, do you know that it takes 365 days for the earth to revolve around the sun? And she said, really? And he says, yep, says it right here. And in the last frame she says, well, that's funny because I thought the world revolved around me. And it was startling for me. It was just kind of startling. And I kind of envisioned, you know, the, the globe spinning on my head instead of a crown. It was a globe. And I just kind of gave it to God. I just gave it to God. And, um, and that actually coincided around the time that I, I got abstinent. So it all kind of worked nicely. I kind of gave up the position of Miss Universe in that way. And, um, and that was a big relief for me. That was really a big relief because I just didn't have to be responsible for anybody anymore except myself. Um, so I worked the steps. I did an inventory I was crabby when I did my inventory. I think everybody's crabby when they write an inventory. And I continue to, to, you know, do that stuff today, 10 steps, whatever that I need. And um, I thought also that when I uh, had a look at my character defects, I thought that that was another thing that I would rather die than doing because it was very dangerous for me as a kid to own up to mistakes. It was very dangerous. So um, I was one of those people, I didn't do it, kind of a thing. And so now I'm in a place that 
demands rigorous honesty. And so now I really have to look at what I did and who I am. But the thing was that I had a very loving sponsor. And um, and she just accepted me for who I was. This All this stuff was brand new to me. I never knew anybody like this before, uh, the people that I met in OA. I just never knew anybody who could be soft and gentle and accepting, just accepting me for just who I was. It, it was pretty unbelievable. Um, and so as I was sponsored is the way that I tried to sponsor, you know, when I started sponsoring. The first person I sponsored, we had, like in, in the beginning, we had like a two-hour debate on whether there was a higher power. And I thought, this sponsoring is hard, you know. And uh, I realized I don't do that anymore. Um, my sponsees do what they're going to do, and uh, I just share my experience with them. But... The first people that I found in program really became uh, role models for me about how, to, how I wanted to live and how I wanted to conduct myself as a human being. And it was just, it's just totally different than the way I came in here. Um, honesty really is the best policy. It's kind of amazing. And um, it's not always easy. But it ultimately works out that way, that it, that it really, if I'm just honest, at first, if I'm honest with myself and then um, I'm honest with other people, things usually work out. And um, so I made my amends. I made amends to, my hardest amends was uh, to my brother and my sister. My brother was very hard because then he gave me more things I should make an amends to him for. So that was that wasn't fun. Um, but um, and then I had to make amends to this guy that I was really good friends with. I worked for him. He owned a bookstore, still does, and I used to steal money from him because he wasn't paying me enough. I, I was very justified at the time. I needed more money, so I learned how to you know not close the register and take out just enough. You know, I wasn't a pig about it, and. Um, I had to write him a check. I kind of, you know, got quiet and asked God for help, and I got the answer I needed. And, you know, I hadn't seen him in years, and when he and I called him, and I said, you're going to be around later at the store. And he said, well, what's going on? And I had, you know, I'd tell him I stole money from him. He was stunned. We used to hang out together. And he was, you know, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing process. And, um, you know, the other steps, uh, 10, 11, and 12 are kind of daily steps, you know. When I'm wrong, I try to promptly admit it. One of my favorite things, kind of, though, knowing that kind of helps me sometimes take the high road about things because I don't want to have to make amends. And um, prayer, meditation is tricky for me, um, although I'm just kind of getting into it more lately, but it's one of those things that's kind of an on and off thing. And... Um, I try to carry the message and I try to be of service and um, I forget a lot of times that being of service is the thing that I'm really is really my primary purpose in this life is to do that and um, I just try to be a good person and everything I learned about being a person a good person I learned here um, 
and how to be authentic I learned here and how to not compulsively overeat I learned here and every day that I don't I think is a miracle from where I came from so um, oh well I'm going to stop talking three minutes early and um, thanks John for asking me to share thanks for letting me share
Why do I need to keep on developing my relationship with God? Why do I need to keep on working? Haven't I done enough? Um, you know, in these question and answer things, that question always comes up, and I have to say no. It's never happened. I love this program. I have never lost my love for it, my enthusiasm for it, always wanting to learn more, to do better, to um, have more of a God consciousness, be a better person. And um, so I never have. I love it. I'm not leaving. Hi. Oh, I saw you this morning. Okay. You could ask me after. Am I done now? Okay.